Hello, everyone, and welcome to Sound of Play 229. Glory, glory to the Lord, the Lord, Archbishop Whitgift. Glory to the Lord in the highest position. Wednesday in Sound of Play, we bring you some of our and your favorite pieces from the many video game soundtracks we've enjoyed over the decades. Joining me, Ryan Heyman, in Sound of Play 229 is Andrea Bocadoro. Hello. Hello. And uh, I'm, I'm excited to have you because I guess what originally got me familiar with, uh, with your name and work is a particular game that I've been playing this year. Uh, called Astrologaster, which we've heard a track from on the way in. And um, as somebody who <laughs> who is interested in video game music, this one really caught my attention because I've never really heard any game do this kind of thing before, which is having uh, several interstitials between chapters 
all kind of punctuated by this very unique Renaissance style choral music. And uh, I thought, you know, this is the week before Thanksgiving. We're uh, Thanksgiving before Christmas. <laughs> We're taking Christmas off this year. But uh, so for all intents and purposes, this is our Christmas show. And what better type of music to feature <laughs> than something that has that uh, that kind of sacred churchy feel to it. So um, I'm, I'm very interested in getting into the, the process of writing for a game featuring um, almost exclusively choral music that's that's based on a uh, that certain tradition. Um, so, yeah. Anyways, uh, welcome to the show. <laughs> Thank you. So the um, the track that we listened to on the way in is called John Witt Gift. Uh, this is uh, this is one of the chapter introductions. Every character has their own theme song, and then every uh, every time you encounter the character throughout the game, that theme song is modified to kind of uh, incorporate things that are happening within the story, things that are uh, that they are specifically going to be kind of querying you about in that in that particular chapter. And so it uh, it evolves, it changes it, it as the the game goes on. I guess to uh, give a bit of background on the game in particular, it is I would say a uh, comedy game uh, of uh, where you you play a doctor, but an uh, an unlicensed doctor uh, during this kind of Elizabethan period. Mm -hmm. The way that he practices medical science <laughs> is to uh, consult the stars, and so various uh, querents will come to you with uh, medical ailments, whether it's uh, psychological or physical, that are ailing them. And it uh, it remains to you, the player, after the the main character consults the stars to provide either an accurate or a comical <laughs> diagnosis <laughs> as to what's happening based on the uh, the arrangements of of stars in the sky. It's it's a very unique premise for a game, and I'm interested in learning more about that. But. Uh, I guess first of all, let's introduce you. You know who uh, who are you? <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, my name is Andrea Boccadoro. I am a film and now also games composer since uh, doing Astrogaster, which was my first game. I was born in Italy and I moved to uh, London in 2013 to complete my studies there. And uh, yeah, I've been composing for uh, various um, film and theater projects and uh, recently getting more into games. Um, Astrologaster, as you mentioned, was a really unique um, project and uh, had a very, very specific brief, uh, which ended up, um, you know, going for, for developing these um, in-style Renaissance uh, madrigals. So Astrologaster is a, a very unique project, as you mentioned. How fully formed was the musical identity when the team came to you? Did they know what they were looking for in this being a choral, almost like a theatrical piece in a way when they reached out to you? Or did you kind of help develop the, the sound and the musical identity of the game? Yeah, um, it definitely developed uh, over time as the project was developing um, through various stages. I actually got in really early um, compared to other projects and in general, I think compared to, uh, you know, 
uh, how far into the project uh, the composer comes in uh, regularly. Uh, because I met Jennifer, the creative director of the game, um, in back in 2000, at the end of 2016, actually. And uh, the game hadn't even been prototyped. They were working on the earliest prototype and they were looking for uh, to sort of team up with other um, creatives so that was a really good thing in the sense that I was able to come in and and get their uh, vision for the project but was also able uh, to come up with ideas uh, and discuss them uh, with them and so we sort of developed uh, the music brief uh, in a very organic way um, through throughout the uh, following months and years actually because eventually the game came out in uh, May 2019. Mm-hmm. So definitely there was uh, the idea. I mean, when I heard about this project, um, I wasn't even looking for a game. I had been, um, you know, trying to contact the games company because I thought it would be interesting to try out a collaboration on a game project. But actually, um, at that particular time, I had also sort of uh, given up because the network of um, the film industry in which I was part and still am, uh, part of was very different from the one um, of the of the game industry, uh, but then um, I was at the BAFTA for um, a drink of this um, group of emerging creatives called BAFTA Crew, and I met Jennifer there, and she started talking to me about uh, this this project, and it really resonated with me um, because I had already um, I, this is a repertoire, the Renaissance uh, musical repertoire that I knew uh, quite mm. well. And that I had also studied um, throughout my musical upbringing, um, so I was really interested uh, from a from a musical point of view in in this kind of project, and I thought it was very unique. And I immediately, uh, you know, we were chatting over the bar, and we were already um, sort of spontaneously coming up with ideas uh, of what the music for this could be. Very early uh, introduction uh, to the project, and something that was resonated with my musical background. Actually, the, uh, in regards to the choral elements of the score, which ended up being uh, sort of the highlight of the um, of the soundtrack, that wasn't there in the first place because we were mm. thinking about instrumental arrangements and uh, backgrounds. Uh, we were thinking about how we could use the musical style of the period to obviously uh, accompany the game uh, with cues and, and soundtrack, but that sort of developed through later stages but definitely there was from the start this very kind of research intense element to the project as uh, you may know that the whole story of Simon Forman the astrologer in the game is a, is a real story he was a real astrologer mm-hmm. and and it is all based on um, his case books uh, which are um, in the Cambridge library so that there was a whole element of of history a history of science history history of uh, medicine which kind of would have blended well with um, an accurately researched uh, musical score as well. So this was sort of the premise. And then as we started drafting ideas and then I could uh, take a look at the prototype and the characters and the script started taking shape, we came up with new ideas. And eventually it was also thanks to uh, Catherine, the writer of the game, Catherine Neal, who is also actually a music graduate and uh, she also is a singer uh, and can read music fluently. Actually, it was also thanks to her that the choral idea was introduced and um, yeah. and we started playing with it. Uh, so it's it's very theatrical in its presentation, like in the sense of a live theater performance where 
you know, every once in a while, the the muses or, you know, whatever characters would speak directly to the audience uh, to fill in either uh, gaps and periods of history or introductions for characters or even kind of uh, jovial asides. Um, I know that uh, you have some background in composing for theater as well. And uh, I just, you know, wanted to get a sense of like, what are you able to carry in from from that uh, discipline into something as kind of radically different as video games for this project? Um, yeah, I have done uh, music for some theater plays, particularly when I was studying at the Royal College of Music, I had a few collaborations. Um, well, I think definitely, you know, music in theater is this idea that almost comes from the Greek tragedy, which is actually, mm-hmm. you know, a chorus uh, commenting and, and giving you a sort of reflective um, insight into what is happening into the um, in the scene and what is happening to the characters and sometimes uh, it can even uh, speak the mind uh, the mind of a character um, and that sort of um, approach somehow uh, was really convenient for Astrologaster as well because we do have a chorus and we do have a very um, theatrical presentation um, so yeah I think definitely you know having having had a bit of that background both in choral music and uh, and in theater uh, definitely helped to give me a sense of spontaneity when I was writing and then when I was uh, trying to characterize uh, these characters because it was almost as if they I could see them uh, in front of me on a stage and all the characters are very um, very expressive very big characters they all have something unique about them and are all just a real um, a, a real collection of fun personality traits, which I can imagine be a lot of fun to write for. This uh, particular character, uh, John Whitgift, that we've heard the theme song of already, uh, I'd say there's uh, there's some that lean towards a more kind of, of comical, jovial tone to them. Uh, and then this one leans really heavily into that, uh, that sacred music uh, style. What about this particular piece that we've heard coming in stands out among the soundtrack in uh, in the composition and then you're uh, listening to it? Uh, yeah, definitely. The music for uh, John Whitgift is uh, much more serious than other characters because um, uh, he's a churchman, he's an archbishop. So um, I thought, you know, the idea I had was basically... Uh, whether, whereas, as you said, in other pieces, uh, we borrowed more for the, from the Madrigalist tradition, which is very jovial and very colorful. Um, in this case, I sort of tried to imitate the style of church music. So you have more imitation and more counterpoint and these very sort of glorious chords. Also, compared to another churchman, um, Thomas Blagg, uh, who is another of the characters, uh, but he's sort of from the countryside and his music is kind of more simple. This one really had to be very... Uh, elaborate and, and powerful sort of kind of also um, expressing the um, the political power of the um, of the church so uh, so that is uh, somehow the, uh, the, the 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 idea of characterization that was behind uh, this particular piece very interesting I like that a lot so uh, staying within somewhat religious themes here uh, let's move on to this next track you've selected uh, not only pieces of your own that you wanted to exhibit today but also some pieces from other composers that have inspired you or have uh, kind of influenced your your perception of video game music in some way. And so this next piece is a track from Diablo called Town, which is written by Matt Uhlman. 
what is it about uh, this piece in particular that stands out? Uh, well, for me, it is a very personal connection to this piece of music. It is one of the, uh, well, I wouldn't say one of the first games that I played because obviously as a, as a child, I really had a Game Boy and I had played lots of other games by the time I got to uh, Diablo. But uh, definitely the soundtrack of this particular uh, game, which I, I loved and played very much. Um, I think it has influenced actually some of my uh, musical interests and musical taste, kind of acoustic guitars, uh, very dark atmospheres. Uh, a few years after playing that game, I was, uh, um, you know, learning how to play guitar and I was joining uh, um, rock and heavy metal bands, actually. Mm. I think it definitely has had for me an influence. I actually realize now uh, many years uh, later down the line. And uh, so it is a very personal uh, connection, but I also think that um, back in the day, uh, music for games was very experimental, and they could take a lot of uh, um, creative freedom. Um, and it's actually really a great track that uh, is incredibly iconic. And as soon as I hear it, um, you know, I'm, I immediately imagine the uh, the village from the ground level, you know, of the of the Diablo game before you enter the whole series of dungeons. I just love it. I think it's a very good example of how music can give a sort of signature to the atmosphere of a, of a, of a game that has become so popular. Fantastic. Let's go ahead and listen to Town by Matt Woolman from Diablo. <laughs> Thank you. 
So we mentioned earlier that your uh, that this is the uh, Astralocaster, rather, is the first game that you've composed for. Um, but I'm uh, I'm curious, what is your history with video gaming in general? You mentioned the Game Boy. You mentioned playing some Diablo. Uh, is this something that you tend to enjoy in your off time, or is it uh, something that you've had to kind of do some more kind of study on uh, in joining this this new project that you're working on this year? It was definitely part of my upbringing, and uh, mm-hmm. I really loved playing games. I started very early. I was probably four or five years old when uh, when I started with Tetris and the Game Boy. And uh, obviously, uh, sort of after my teenage years, it became, with university and conservatoire, it became uh, increasingly difficult to have time to play games. So in my 20s, I kind of abandoned that uh, that hobby. Uh, but obviously, now that recently I had the opportunity to work professionally in games, um, that has uh, brought it back in a way. So when I have a bit of spare time, I play uh, some some indie games. Um, I've been playing uh, Braid, uh, Cuphead. Now I also look forward very much to the reboot of Final Fantasy VII and uh, Baldur's <laughs> Gate Three. Baldur's Gate is another one that I really used to to love. So um, I don't have much time to play games, but I try to do it a bit. And obviously now that uh, there is this whole new um, chapter of my uh, professional life, um, making music for games, I am also trying to to hear and listen uh, what mm. other composers are doing and what um, interesting games are being um, released. So yeah, definitely. It's, it's, it's a very good opportunity to come back uh, to an old passion and um, and discover something new. Let's get into a bit of your personal history. So what is your history with music pretty much? Like at what age did you know that you had either a knack or an interest in working in music in some way? Um, I was 12 years old. Um, I, wa- I had some older friends of mine who were playing in bands and I got really excited. Actually, I wanted to play drums in the first place, but my parents uh, didn't agree with that. <laughs> so <laughs> they bought me a guitar for Christmas. Uh, yeah, and I, I think I was 12 or 13 at the time. Uh, so I started playing that and um, I immediately got really sort of attached to it and, and um, I felt that I had a certain... Uh, uh, agility in learning the technique uh, quickly and um, yeah so I started from there a few years later I was playing in bands and it was mostly rock metal and alternative rock music progressive rock as well um, actually I could not read music I, I taught myself uh, to read music and music theory only a few years later uh, during a period in which actually I had a tendinitis, so I could not play guitar. And then mm-hmm. I used that time to um, to do more theoretical studies and listen to a lot of records. Uh, but my very, very beginning was with the guitar uh, during my, my teenage years. You went on to receive formal training as well uh, at the academy and uh, presumably before that. Uh, what, what, what was the transition from performing in uh, rock and metal bands to uh, going into composition. Yeah, uh, that's that's an interesting uh, uh, question because I was thinking about it recently. I, I sort of, um, I think that a lot of other musicians around me, they seem to be really clear about uh, playing um, and being part of a certain genre. And I had this thing whereby I was always uh, kind of biting into new genres and new um, pieces of music that I didn't know. And so I, I soon discovered jazz and, and I also learned to sing. I, I, I felt this urge to write music. So at the beginning, because 
I had a sort of rock and songwriting world around me, I thought maybe I had to write my own songs. So I learned how to sing and accompany myself. Um, and I wrote a few songs and I was kind of collaborating with um, with artists, with other artists on, on writing and arranging uh, songs and performing them. But somehow I felt that I didn't have a great talent for writing lyrics. And I also was really much more into the instrumental side of things and like creating moods with uh, whatever, you know, chord sequence or uh, combination of uh, of instruments. So Sort of growing up, I had this uh, hunger for for very different um, genres, and then I went to uni. I was studying uh, philosophy, and I had courses about uh, the relationship between um, painting and music, and and I um, I discovered the world of classical music actually quite quite uh, late, and and I started thinking that maybe this. Uh, maybe I could actually study composition because it is a way of uh, sort of navigating different uh, musical worlds and uh, musical languages. I actually looked for for a bit of formal training then. Um, yeah, I was between 18 and 20 years old and I found this um, composition teacher uh, who sort of took me under his wing for various years actually. And um, he taught me how to play piano, how to read music better and and also the whole uh, theory of counterpoint, harmony, orchestration. And I was studying at university, but also going to private lessons with him. Uh, his name is uh, Ferdinando Nazzaro. He now teaches at the uh, uh, conservatoire in Rome. Over the years, I, I was sort of developing this technique uh, while still playing uh, for bands and arranging for them. And then everything sort of started making sense. I was applying these techniques learned in the sort of more classical music training to record the recording studio. So we were going to the studio to record some strings. And I really realized then that the studio and, and the composition side of music is what I am really interested in, rather than live performing, for instance. Um, and then another bit that added to that um, was that when I was touring with this band at the time called uh, Crook, K-R-U-K, we were in London and we were hosted by a guy who was a film director and needed music for his uh, graduation short film. He asked me, basically, he asked me to write music for his short. I really loved that collaboration. And for once, it was an instrumental piece of music that I was writing. I wasn't writing for a songwriter. I wasn't writing a song. And I could use both my experience um, in music production working with bands in the studio and my classical education that I got later on, arranging strings or other instruments. So sort of the two worlds could come together in uh, the world of applied media music, basically. And, and I felt really excited about that. I really loved uh, the kind of conversations and creative um, journey that you have working with a director. And so from then, um, by the time I was already like 25, 26, I was uh, finishing my uni and composition studies and I applied to the Royal College of Music. Uh, I was lucky enough to be offered a, a place, uh, the Masters in Composition for Screen. And uh, then I moved to London. And uh, from there on, um, I was involved with a lot of student productions that um, over time they developed into professional collaborations and so on. And so like sort of one project led to the other uh, until now. I think this would be a good time to hop into one of the other tracks that you've composed outside of your game's work. Um, this one is uh, in original piece, I believe. Actually, if you could uh, provide some, some context as to where this, this next track came from. Yes, it's called uh, La Lettre. Um, it's a track from a short film, a French short film called uh, Refuge. 
um, which is a drama where the um, about a family where the death of one of the siblings, uh, Luis, um, provides an opportunity for the estranged brother Elliot, who is the protagonist, uh, to reconnect with the rest of his family. Do you want to talk about the the piece in particular, the um, the the music that you've written and how it kind of layers on to the other stuff that the other works that you've done? Um, yeah, I mean, I think the the style for Refuge is a very sort of minimalist approach to chamber music, which I would say is definitely one of my um, ways of approaching uh, drama. There are other uh, other pieces, other uh, scores that I've written, then that they sort of have this a similar uh, sort of technique, moving a slow tempo string trio. In this one in particular, we also d- uh, did some overdubs. So the interesting thing about um, a project like this is that you end up with a piece of music that piece of music that sounds. Um, quite like chamber music, but actually the technique applied to it is includes you know music production and overdubbing different instruments because we only had uh, three strings on this one, uh, but actually it sounds quite bigger because we overdub some of them and then there is also uh, a slight hybridization with a synth sub bass that sort mm. of you may, you may have heard plays at one point into the most climatic part of the. Um, Composition and this is something that I really I really like that you can only really do in uh, film music because film music uh, and media music in general is uh, somehow a recording art so you don't have the problem of the live performance in a way you can do things uh, or use your reser- your um, musicians your resources in a way that wouldn't be enabled by by the live performance. Interesting. Let's go ahead and listen to that.
so circling back to Astrologaster now, was writing for a game a significantly different process than writing for other mediums? Um, this this game in particular doesn't have the uh, same kind of reactive audio. I know that a lot of games have where you really have to account for users uh, taking actions that might interrupt the music or change its context in some way. It, it, it's more kind of interstitials, but still I'm, I'm curious if the, if the, the medium went into the way that, uh, that these pieces were written. Yeah. I mean, as you said, there wasn't a great deal of interactivity for the music in this particular game, yet there are sections like the astrological reading uh, where you have and also the the main titles the um, the background that you have in the not the main title sorry the uh, uh, in the menu you have a background track mm-hmm. and they both form loops so actually this was the first time that i was writing uh, music that would have to to loop um, mm. over and over uh, so that definitely was something different that uh, i hadn't done before and this typical of um, game music um, and in general you know it uh, compared to, for instance, film composing, which is where I do most of my work, you are not in control of the sync uh, in the sense that you cannot, you can never be uh, 100% sure what your music is going to sync with. And actually that aleatoric element to it makes me feel in a way a little freer when I write music. Uh, so I, I quite enjoy that. And also regarding the, the madrigals, obviously, because they sort of work as standalone verses, but then you also we also knew that we were going to cut them into uh, a full song with four, five, six uh, verses. Each of the verses that you hear as separate in the game needed to make a, make sense in both contexts. So it needed to have an ending that uh, would make it feel as a standalone piece, but also when you would cut it um, with the whole soundtrack, uh, with the whole sorry, mm-hmm. you know, with the other verses of the song it would also provide enough modulation and uh, momentum towards the following verse. So that was an interesting sort of uh, uh, conception of time where you can have different ramifications. And I I feel like I have only tapped into it. And, you know, in future game projects, I could explore that side of writing much more. I think it's kind of similar to how you write a script for a game, right? You could have very different uh, outcomes and therefore your story uh, ramifies into different uh, potential consequences of the choices that the player makes. Mm. Uh, in, in a similar way, music can follow the same kind of pattern. So th- this was also something um, uh, new that I hadn't experienced before and was very uh, specific to the game medium. I think that uh, as people who don't write music, it seems from the outside like writing looping music would be very easy because it's just you know start in the same place that you ended and but I, I think that for real composers that's actually kind of a challenge and especially somebody coming from classical music that is uh, kind of inherently narrative and arc driven um, that that would be a, a bit of a transition to write music that is intended to loop like what is what is that like it, is that challenging or is that kind of an easy switch to flip uh yeah no i i agree with what you say because somehow uh you know when you write a piece of music in the classical style you have a way of developing the material that mm-hmm. makes you uh, arrive you know you go from 
A to B and then you come back to A but you're not the same again and so you don't want after you've heard that you don't want the music to to start all over so I think that it definitely uh, calls for the music material to be treated in a different way perhaps uh, trying to stay a bit more simple or if you want to create variation uh, it can be challenging because you have to think about the energy levels of your musical development in a way that takes into account this repetition and so has a flow that can form a cycle with the repetition of the piece that you are uh, you're writing so i think it's a it's a fun exercise uh, to try and do it still keeping um, you know a sense of of development in the classical sense and uh, perhaps i think um, Perhaps I, I achieved it on the uh, on the track that plays in the background of the main menu. Um, yeah. You know, people maybe want to know this, but that I, I sort of composed it in a way that would let it be... First of all, it's very long. So actually, that is one thing that I found that is helpful. So if you want to write a music loop in a way that enables for some development, just write a very long track and uh, put all of your developments in it. And... Uh, very likely people will never get to hear the repetition <laughs> so they will not get bored because you have a lot of material there to to listen to um and then obviously um make a music structure that can account for repetition uh but yeah the track on the main titles i think is probably like four minutes long so people will not likely be there for a long time this next track that we're going to listen to is one of my favorites from the album this is mary Payne. Uh, which is uh, a, a great character within the game. And I think her theme is one of the more memorable pieces. Uh, could you uh, give us a little bit of history on writing this character? Yeah, so uh, she's the paranoid uh, Puritan. And um, so for her, again, actually, uh, I borrowed a little bit from a more serious style. But then one of the funniest things about the song is that uh, the chorus is making fun of her. So uh, they, they, <laughs> they, they don't like her. So you have this very serious music that represents her and her uh, intentions and extreme religious uh, beliefs um, and then uh, the chorus is making fun of her in the lyrics and they use this um, sort of signature fa la 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 effect that you can hear in some of the madrigals of the time and it's a sort of cover for uh, the, uh, the rhyming of the lyrics with a swear word that you can always guess so it's it's really <laughs> funny and uh, and it, it, that is I think a good example of how we managed to introduce elements that were uh, specific or they were recalling the style um, and the musical practice of the time to create comedy and to characterize uh, a particular character or situation uh, in the game. So the interplay between the music and the lyrics here, you worked with a lyricist um, to come up with the, the story-based elements that are going to be delivered uh, during these musical pieces. How is that process if you've written a piece of music and the lyrics aren't fitting quite right, like how how does adjustment happen when there's two kind of creative forces that have uh, potentially different needs from the same piece of music? Yeah, no, it was a very interesting process and uh, incredibly smooth as well. I wouldn't have expected uh, it to go so well, I think, because Catherine did a really great job with the lyrics. And she was kind of doing also a similar job to me in the sense that she was uh, uh, researching the style of uh, poetry of the time and, and borrowing from old English ways of, of expression and, and stylistic expression as well. We always started from the lyrics because I feel personally that they already 
come with a meter and already come with mm. the sound and with a color that it, um, sparks musical inspiration that somehow fits with uh, with what you're working towards. So I think that we only had maybe one or two pieces where I already had written the music or it was written for a different character. And then we decided actually this, perhaps the mood of this one fits better. This other character, Catherine, hadn't written the lyrics for the other character already. So she would adapt to the music. But most of the times we started from uh, the lyrics and the discussion about what would be the vibe of this particular character, whether the chorus likes them or dislike them, uh, dislikes them, what is the attitude uh, of the music towards this particular one. And then I would draft an A and a B section. Uh, most pieces, in fact, they have contrasting uh, musical templates that then are applied to, to the various um, lyrics. And then she would give me a bit of feedback on that, whether she thought would fit the, the style we wanted for the character, uh, the mood. Uh, and if she needed me to extend or uh, shorten a phrase or two, I would do that. Sometimes she would uh, give me a word uh, with a different number of syllables if it was really necessary for the music. So we sort of, starting from the lyrics and from a description of the character, adapted um, to each other in a very collaborative and fun uh, way. And luckily we never had uh, disagreements. We were always uh, getting, you know, we I don't feel neither of us had to compromise at any stage. Uh, we were always trying to be creative and uh, and fun with the material. Very cool. Let's go ahead and listen to Mary Payne. Mary Payne is frightened when she spies a looking glass, for tis the portal out through which the gates of hell blast. A deadly and foul wind that comes direct from Satan's Wench, be sure to marry, lest ye be branded a witch. If Mary sees you keeping cats against you, she will snitch. Beware of Mistress Mary Pitch, she is a nosy. Though a hero, Simon, foreman's not a Catholic, he disapproves of Mary for her views. They make him sick, but pray he does not tell her lest she punch him in the punch him in the If you try to argue with her, you will have no luck. She'll twist and turn your logic till your reason comes unstuck. Chastise Mary, who you like, she will not give up. Will not give up. Mary oft takes her young knees to the cock-fighting pits. She prefers a hanging, though she readily admits. Viewed after drinking turnip wine until she's off her Tis well to jest at Mary Paint, tis well to sneer and mock Until her views become the norm, then twill be quite a shock But for now let's laugh at her and how her knees laughs so um, getting back to some of the things that you said earlier, uh, you did some work in in rock and heavy metal before going over to more orchestral treatments, which is um, 
also a path that was followed by the next composer that we wanted to highlight, another one of the musical inspirations that you pointed out, uh, Nobuo Uematsu, who quite famously incorporates a lot of his own um, progressive rock and heavy metal type of uh, influences into the orchestral music that he does. And then, you know, oftentimes records uh, progressive rock and heavy metal versions of the pieces that he's written for games. And, you know, surprise, surprise, it translates quite well because it was kind of written with those sensibilities to begin with. Mm-hmm. So um, in in your own musical work, do you carry anything from that uh, those other genres that you had done before into the more kind of classical or in uh, Astralgaster's case, uh, choral music that you've um, written since? I mean, I think that actually there is not, uh, you know, a very rigid barrier between progressive rock and metal music and classical music mm-hmm. or, fo- you know, um, like folk English music has reminiscences of uh, uh, in the English madrigal. Sometimes you can hear certain chords or certain, you know, Celtic music. Uh, and some of sometimes Celtic music is taken as inspiration for metal music. I think that actually the the musical landscape is very fluid. So um, somehow I think that personally, one of the things that was good about not having a very classical musical upbringing was that just like Uematsu, I think he's a brilliant composer and so so talented that, that he's so eclectic and he's somehow doesn't think about you know genres in a very rigid way so there is not such thing as something that is entirely classical or is entirely rock and even progressive rock and and metal music progressive rock from the 70s aimed to have a sort of sophistication and and uh, musical complexity that also was inspired somehow by by classical music so i think that i personally try to stay um, open and to let other things influence me uh, obviously depending on the on the project um, but I don't, um, maybe because for me this transition was very natural and I didn't uh, know in the first place about these, you know, rigid subdivisions into high art and low art. I feel that the, the transition or the, or the use of materials that don't belong to orchestral music in the first place can be brought in and it's very, it's very fun actually. Absolutely. I think there's not a lot to gain by putting up walls between things. Um, I always like to see interesting intermixings of disciplines and backgrounds and uh, uh but you know it's i you know having a a rich musical history in different genres i think can contribute to some uh fresh perspectives being brought into established genres as well so it's always always interesting to see how people do incorporate things that they've done outside of just the medium or just the genre that they're working in and bringing it in um, this uh, this piece that uh, you wanted to highlight in particular from Final Fantasy VII is an orchestral version of Opening Bombing Mission. Uh, this is a, uh, a a pretty famous piece in video game music. What does it mean to you, though? Well, again, uh, just like the piece from Diablo, uh, it's a personal connection to a game that has meant a lot to me. And uh, I also realize once again with these pieces how playing games and watching films gave me subconsciously an an introduction to music and orchestral music that I would only discover in a conscious way many years later so uh, for instance like I I sometimes because for for some years I sort of forgot about games and I was into orchestral music and I was listening and researching uh, I don't know Mahler or Beethoven and, and loving those pieces but 
actually I realized that what made me love those pieces was also um, experiencing orchestral music uh, in films and games. This particular recording uh, was from an album, uh, Distant Worlds, separate from the game. Uh, Is this something that you tend to do if you really connect with a game soundtrack or even a movie soundtrack you'll you'll go out and seek other uh, orchestrations and instrumentalizations and covers and and stuff of those pieces uh, yes why not and also i mean this is a, a live recorded version uh which you don't find i think in the original or the original soundtrack so uh, it kind of uh, you know highlights even more the um the intention that the the composer had in mind when uh, writing those orchestral tracks All right, let's listen to Opening Bombing Mission, an orchestral version by Nobuo Uematsu.
this this next piece of music, going back to Astrologaster, is a uh, piece called Humphrey Bell, another uh, a rather comical piece as well. Um, I like this one. Uh, this is, um, you know, going back to the original premise. This is uh, a, a piece of choral music, something that people might be less less used to encountering on a day to day basis. So, from a musical perspective, could you give any insight into the types of flourishes and writing characteristics that you use to compose these uh, these pieces of music within this genre yeah so um in this one humphrey bell he's a handsome uh, male actor who has to play female roles um and uh, already the lyrics uh, are quite funny in the sense that uh, i think that catherine has put a little bit of uh, feminist sadism into <laughs> into these ones but uh, the the quite the chorus kind of they want to seduce him and they are harassing him so um i hear one particular musical effect that i used and that sort of tries to um push the comedy element a little bit is that uh in each verse you have a moment a passage with uh, imitations and uh, chord progressions that sort of highlights the increasing excitement of the chorus um so yeah that is that is the the one trick that i used on uh, humphrey bell are there other little touches throughout the the game and, and its various pieces of music that you are so proud of, but you think that people will, may not notice if they don't have that musical ear attuned to it just right? <laughs> um, yeah, I am very proud of... There is one, uh, perhaps we'll hear it later, Sibyl Fortescue. There are very, I would say, skillful musical imitations and chord progressions there that are also meant to express... Uh, it's a sort of uh, word painting techniques that come from the madrigal, and uh, it was particularly challenging to write that one. Uh, Sibyl was one, is one of the most uh, virtuoso pieces in the series, but also John Whitgift, uh, the one we heard at the beginning of the show. Um, yeah, no, I think you know each of them has. We put a lot of of, of love and a lot of work into them, and I am pretty much proud of uh, of each single piece. We tried to put a little element, you know, coming from the Renaissance style, uh, a little trick, a little something that would make it funny and, uh, and uh, unique. Awesome. Let's go ahead and listen to Humphrey Bell from Astrologaster. Humphrey Bell, who is this coming youth? May help a little shy, but pleasing to the eye. His eyes, his hair, his hair, his shape, his form, forsooth, as he a sweetheart, pray tell us the truth. Humphrey Bell, to play a leading day, you must pay the price of looking thin and nice. Take so ill, for though your 
to another piece of music that you've written, Suspicions Orchestral Suite, if you want to give us some, uh, some history and context around this. Um, yeah, so this was a uh, student production, a long, uh, very long short film um, of about 30 minutes. In Italy, we would call the mediometraggio sort of a category in between short and feature film. It was a mm-hmm. classically styled, stylized uh, thriller inspired by the likes of Hitchcock and De Palma in which the protagonist Finn gets a glimpse of um, his childhood friend's uh, creepiness and isn't prepared for the horrible uh, truth truth he uncovers. And uh, this one was also interesting in a similar way to Astrologaster, perhaps, in the sense that uh, the director really wanted to recreate the atmosphere of a Hitchcock or De Palma film. So I went and researched uh, some of those um, great um, classical thriller scores by Herman, by Pino Donaggio, um, an Italian composer tried to bring them to bring them into the score um and uh, i i uh, it was a really really good recording session we managed to get uh, almost 40 players actually for this one overdubbing them over different recording sessions so we did the strings first and then on the following day we did winds and and brass in separate sessions piece that i am um, that i remember um happily and uh, even if it was a student production i think uh, it still it still has has interesting uh, elements to it and actually it has i have never played it i only sent it to directors sometimes but it is not uh, it is not online it hasn't been released so uh, this will be a first time oh cool how involved do you tend to be in the recording process i know that uh, that conducting and um, recording and mixing all tend to be very different skill sets as well so do you uh, do you dabble in any of those while you're in the live recording phase of uh, production so i am not really trained as a conductor i did i did a little bit uh, of it during my conservatory studies but it's a very specific uh, mm-hmm. skill that and particularly with film music you have to be a very good sight reader. Mm. So I tend to obviously write and orchestrate and um, take part to the um, uh, management and and production of the recording session. But I quite like to stay in the control room during the session and uh, sort of run it from there, collaborating with the engineers and also a lot of the times having the 
director, producer, or the commissioners there with me in the control room so that I also feel that I am uh, kind of making sure that they uh, are experiencing the session in the best way, that if they have any uh, command, anything that they are feeling uh, about a particular piece of music, we could still try and make some minor changes on the spot. Um, and so it kind of gives me a little bit of distance. I can watch the uh, this in particular with film recording sessions. I can watch the film in sync with the orchestra recording the cue. Not being in the room, I can hear it from the speakers, which is also how you would hear it, you know, in a cinema. And so I, I feel that by doing that, I have a little bit more of an objective relationship to what is going on and I can make I can make decisions, I can make small changes on the spot without feeling uh, too much in a subjective point of view. But actually, I would like to conduct in the future uh, my own music, but it's sort of, uh, uh, as I said, not having had that training and a lot of the times you end up finishing the music the night before the session. So uh, you don't have any time for preparation. So you really have to be a very fit <laughs> mm. musician uh, to be able to do that. And I, I somehow feel that that time hasn't come for me yet, but maybe one day. <laughs> this next piece is Suspicions Orchestral Suite, which we've mentioned. It's it's a really interesting piece with a lot of personality to it. It has uh, a really nice interplay between bits and pieces that are just really kind of genuinely beautiful and also just little hints that something is wrong or that there's some sort of a, a tension uh, in the air at the time. Uh, w- what is the specific kind of narrative or personality that you wanted to come across musically through this piece? The main character um, goes to this house that belongs to this uh, childhood friend of his and he doesn't find him there. He's supposed to be joined by his girlfriend and he starts finding clues uh, and suspecting that something has gone wrong and he doesn't he doesn't know what it is. At one point he thinks that his old friend has actually murdered uh, the protagonist's girlfriend mm. and he's sort of misled uh, into thinking that the reality is something and then he finds out that actually... Well, I don't want to spoil it, but <laughs> he finds that the reality is something different than what he thought. Uh, but so there is this idea of an underlying threat and uh, uh, and of uh, uh, musical motifs that give you the idea of sort of trying to solve uh, a puzzle um, and that they gradually come together. Although in the um, suite, actually the teams have been um, cut uh, and faded into one another in an order that is not the one uh, belonging to sort of the narrative order of the film. Uh, so um, that maybe will not come across from this particular um, recording, but hopefully through elements in the in the single pieces that have been cut together. Fantastic. Let's go ahead and listen to that. Thank you. 
Next, we're coming to another piece that uh, actually layers quite nicely with uh, Astrologaster, and it's 
choral themes. There's some beautiful choral work in Everybody's Gone to the Rapture, which uh, was composed by Jessica Curry. Um, some uh, really nice uh, layering of that kind of sacred, uh, again, kind of churchy feeling to it as well, as you're dealing with mm-hmm. a potentially end of the world scenario, depending on how you read the narrative. And, uh, you know, that brings a lot of questions of of faith and afterlife and and the encounters with the supernatural. What insights can you share about writing music in a sacred style? Uh, well, first of all, regarding uh, Jessica's score, uh, which is a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful piece of work. And uh, also it's thanks to her that, you know, we were noticed and played on, uh, on BBC Radio 3. And it kind mm-hmm. of uh, tied in really nicely with the considerations that we did while we were writing the music for Astrologaster. Because somehow the fact that she had started exploring that territory of choral music with a sacred uh, influence gave the idea that, uh, you know, uh, game music is this very broad church and uh, it's a place where uh, you can go with a risk-taking uh, musical brief and do something uh, new in this in this uh, particular style of choral music so i think she has pioneered this in a way and that also showed us that it was a possibility it was something that maybe wouldn't be that uh, crazy and regarding your question of uh, relationship with the afterlife and uh, sacred elements in music in a way there are obviously just like any other genre or period of music history you can find by by researching a, piece, a certain style that there are uh, elements to it uh, of musical technique that you would be able to reproduce so that definitely something if someone wanted to write sacred music they could go and and look into that a lot of the times it's actually given by the lyrics because uh, I, I you would be surprised to know that uh, sometimes the music from renaissance uh, the choral music from the Renaissance period uh, can be very similar if you take a um, sacred piece or a um, secular piece, like the madrigals, they tended to be secular music, but it was a lot of the times just the lyrics that uh, made that, that difference. But one thing for sure is that the voice is such a deep instrument um, that is so human, that probably connects us. I mean, it's a matter of instrumentation, really, in that case, that... Hearing the human voice can be a very powerful tool for enabling, um, you know, a certain feeling of, strangely enough, of, of God and, uh, and, and of, a, of a spiritual element. Or perhaps that there is that choral thing of kind of coming together and, uh, and singing, you know, sort of transcending the individuality of each person in the choir into something bigger. That is something that actually music has in general even orchestral music, you know, this thing that you're doing with other people and it connects you to something that is very human. I find that it, it does have that power of, uh, of summoning very philosophical and very powerful reflections and feelings. So this particular piece from the Everybody's Gone to the Rapture score, The Morning Tree, what is it that stuck out about this one to you? Uh, well, this one, I find that it does have uh, some harmonies that are a bit Renaissance. I chose it because somehow um, it made me, made me think of, of some of the harmonies that I used uh, in Astrologaster as well. And it's also, it also feels typically English in those, in those harmonies. So I, I thought that was a very lovely piece of music and it kind of reflects this tradition of English uh, vocal music. Fantastic. This is The Morning Tree by Jessica Curry from Everybody's Gone to the Rapture. Thank you. 
Getting back into Astrologaster here. This is a piece that you mentioned earlier. It's the Sybil Fortescue from Astrologaster. Uh, is there anything in particular about this piece of music that stands out among the album that you wanted to highlight? Um, yeah, uh, it's a very colorful piece. Compared to other pieces, perhaps you have a little bit more of changes of mode and, and harmony. Uh, and this actually reflects the uh, nature of the character who is this, uh, the wife of this explorer who sends her... Uh, all sorts of uh, goods and, and gifts, all the novelties from uh, America. Yeah, um, I, I had a lot of fun writing it and it has this very uh, fast and uh, steep at times nature because also she's trying to create these bonds with the high society and is very clumsy, so she fails at that. She organizes <laughs> a dinner party and then ends up poisoning her guests. So um, the music really here in a, uh, in a virtuosistic way is trying to portray this clumsiness and is, uh, it feels at times and it actually I wrote it in a way that it would feel also for the singers to almost, uh, you know, be walking on a rope mm. because <laughs> it was very hard, hard to perform this one. It's probably one of the hardest, but they did uh, a brilliant job with it. The character within the game is probably the most comical of all the characters, just because the situations she finds himself, herself in are uh, uh, such a comedy of errors in a way. Uh, I, I can definitely see. And, you know, the fact that she aspires to this kind of high society greatness and consistently lets herself down there. I, I appreciate the comedy there and how much it comes through in the music. So this is Sybil Fortescue from Astrologaster. Sybil Fortescue always has what's new Far She will oft boast. She loves the lands and she loves to entertain. Though how she does try, her dinners go awry. And it is a change, and it is a Sibyl's oft blessed, for when she tries her best, tis there Be achieved 
Let's move on to something entirely different. This is a piece from Cuphead, composer Christopher Madigan. Uh, This is the piece Floral Fury, which is one of the boss fight pieces. I guess most of the pieces in the game are boss Mm -hmm. fight pieces because that's kind of the central thrust of the game. But it's um, this is a a very lively and very kind of chaotic piece of jazz music. I I like it a lot. But um, you mentioned that you've been playing this one recently. It's a a another game with a uh, soundtrack that is a genre of music very rarely represented within games being early 1900s jazz type of music. Uh, So what is it either as a player or as a fellow musician that you really appreciate about the game and its music? Yeah, the game uh, to start with has really beautifully crafted animations and drawings. And um, I just appreciate so much the craft that went into it from an art point of view, and that reflects also in the music. From On that regard, I think that uh, Cuphead um, is, again, another game that has such a specific uh, brief that has been delivered in such a compelling way. And it is really, it is amazing uh, what they did with it. Uh, I also uh, love jazz very much. I haven't uh, written much in that style, but I, I know how difficult it is to write and perform that kind of music. And I find it really great that uh, there are games out there that are um, exploring these territories and uh, taking, uh, you know, such um, unique routes uh, and, uh, and delivering such beautiful games. Awesome. This is Floral Fury from Cuphead.
going into another piece of uh, original music that you've written back in 2015. This is called the Porter Brothers Orchestral Suite. Why don't you give some background on this one? This one was um, composed and recorded at the end of my studies at the Royal College of Music. Um, I had access again to um, a very good number of orchestral musicians from the college, who has about uh, 800 students divided into the whole, the whole um, all of the various uh, instrument families. And it is a score for, again, another um, long short film, a French Western, a baguette Western, following Sam, one of two brothers who is captured by um, uh, bounty hunters after robbing a bank. And it's a sort of story of betrayal and, and redemption, a very classical uh, project that helped me to explore, obviously, the, um, uh, the language of, uh, of music for the, for the Western. Somehow, I felt also that in terms of having some battle music in it, some sort of dual music in it, uh, it connected well with uh, what we heard previously as well by uh, Wematsu.
We have one piece of music left to listen to today, but before we do that, I want to remind everyone to venture over to our forum at caneandrince.com forum or our Twitter account at caneandrince where you can request your own favorite pieces of video game music to be played in a future show. Please do subscribe to Sound of Play and uh, leave us reviews wherever possible. We have other shows on the network. The Kane and Rince podcast is a weekly deep dive into one particular game at a time. Playwright on Thursday is a show about creating new games. And then The Sausage Factory on Friday is a show about uh, interviewing the people who create the games that we love. If you've enjoyed the show, we also have a Patreon that you can go and support if you so wish. You get a uh, the Kane and Rinse podcast a week earlier than everyone else, as, long, as well as uh, some early access to some of the console specials and, and stuff like that that we do. Um, that is over at patreon.com slash Kane and Rinse. And uh, thank you very much, Andrea, for joining us today. And uh, I'm it's been super interesting listening to your own uh, insights into the the composition of both uh, this game and uh, some of the original pieces that you've brought with us as well. Just thank you for uh, for taking the time to to chat for a while and, and just kind of kick back and uh, listen to some music with us. Thanks so much for having me. Is there anything that you'd like to draw attention to, future projects that you're working on, or or anything that you would like to direct the listeners' attention to? Um, well, there is a project that I have been working on uh, over the past two months as orchestrator. Um, I have been working with uh, actually my hero, Dario Marianelli, who is uh, an Italian composer based in London, an Oscar-winning composer who uh, wrote music for uh, films by Joe Wright, uh, such as Atonement, Anna Karenina, Darkest Hour. Uh, he has also scored uh, very beautiful animations uh, like Kubo and uh, The Two Strings. Mm. And Dario has been composing the score for a project, uh, a new live adaptation of Pinocchio by Matteo Garrone, who is one of our, um, I would say, most uh, prominent authors at the moment in Italy. And yeah, it's a beautiful score. And the film also is very, very artful and beautifully crafted. Uh, this is coming out in Italy on the 19th of December. And uh, in terms of other projects I'm working on, um, I've been scoring a theater play, um, a version of The Importance of Being Ernest by Aling Buzok, a theater director, which is also happening very soon. It's in January from the 6th to the 18th of January at the Tower Theatre. In London. So if people are in London and want to go and see a um, very unique reading of uh, The Importance of Being Ernest by Oscar Wilde, entirely played, directed and uh, uh, composed by immigrants, uh, hopefully will be interesting. Apart from that, I've been up to um, more film projects, short films, and for 2020, I am hoping to um, get on a new game production. Uh, which I cannot uh, talk about yet, but hopefully um, will become uh, something public very soon. Fantastic. The Importance of Being Earnest is one of my absolute favorites. I, I wish I could uh, pop on over to England to give that one a watch again, but uh, I'm uh, I'm on the other side of the world, unfortunately, but uh, highly recommended for those of you who are in town. Uh, anyways, let's get into this last piece of music. This is uh, another piece from Astrologaster to take us out of the show today. This is Nicholas Mug. Uh, why don't you uh, give some uh, insight into this character and his particular associated theme? <laughs> 
Uh, he's one of my favorites. He's the hypochondriac. Uh, so I share very much his state of anxiety and uh, <laughs> uh, being afraid of being ill for whatever reason. Um, and uh, yeah, it was it was a very a very spontaneous character to write for for me. And actually, uh, the music is kind of uh, a bit like a Christmas carol. So I think it will be a, a very good way of ending uh, our conversation. Yeah, nice send off into the Christmas season. Let's go ahead and listen to Nicholas Mugg from Astrologaster. Thank you very much for joining us, and we'll catch you all next week. Rich but not satisfied, mayhap you have not tried this one weird trick for displaying your wealth. Buy herbs and confections to boost your complexion, and pass idle hours tending to your health. Beware conspirations, plots and machinations, the schemes of big physics to sell you their wares. Their cures do us violence, but they call it science. They mock our beliefs and belittle our fears. Be sure to inform him you have it on very good authority.